Welcome to this podcast from the Bay Church. We hope you're blessed by the message. To find out more, please visit our website at www.the-bay-church.org.uk. So we're carrying on with Ephesians. We're nearly at the end. And I have the second half of the do's and don'ts, as Richard called them last week. Um, only I think I got the more exciting half of the do's and don'ts. So this is Ephesians 5, and I'm still with the nearly infallible version. And it's from 1 to 21. If you close your eyes, I don't think it, it probably doesn't come up on the screen. So if you just close your eyes, this is let the word soak in. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must be not even, not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of creed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Amen. So there we are. I'll get my sticky notes sorted. So this is the one and only time I'm probably going to be able to use the baby card on sermons, so I'm going to do it. And I have a seven-week-old son, so if the sermon is not coherent, 
It's all due to Felix. <laughs> Nothing to do with my lack of sleep. It's all due to him. So there we I've played that. And so as I'm talking, keep that in mind that I have a little baby, a very little sleep. Um, in my mind, I have this beautiful picture because the passages were sent out earlier in the year, must have been February time. Um, and there was one kind of couple of weeks before he was due, or there was this one. And in my mind, I thought, that would be perfect. I'll have the afternoons, both of the babies will be asleep. I can spend a couple of hours every afternoon just soaking and preparing. Turns out they don't sleep at the same time. So my plan was very good, but the execution didn't really work out as I imagined in my mind. So, that in mind, this is a random collection of thoughts that hopefully Holy Spirit will thread through into a beautiful message that speaks to all of you. But to me, I think it's, it, it kind of, it was the first verse was the reason why I wanted to speak on this passage or the first two. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators, live a life of love. And to me, all the do's and don'ts, they're not, not the point of this passage. The point of this passage is connection with God. And he sent Christ to die for us so that we have access to him. And he's calling us to be imitators of him. And it's, it's fantastic, our two-year-old is learning so much at the moment. And everything she learns is by imitating. So the last couple of weeks, her teddies have been breastfed or tummy fed. But she's imitating what she sees around her and is repeating that. And it's fascinating to see how quickly they were learned just by watching. And that's what we're called to do, to see what Daddy is doing in heaven. We are dearly loved children. And he's, that's, that's what Jesus did. He only did what he saw the Father do. So we are called to do the same. Would somebody mind lifting this up? Because I'm kind of, my notes are too low. <laughs> Can't see them. Thank you. That's why I married an engineer. <laughs> so, we are called to be imitators. And likewise, we are called to be models to others so they can imitate us. That's how we learn, by watching others. And every now and then, you just meet somebody and you just go, wow, they've got something I want and you spend time with them, and you find out what it is about them that you're attracted to, what makes them tick. So I love David and Karen. They use a fantastic example of love and how to love people. And I, I just love seeing you do it. And I'd love to emanate that in my relationships, but literally every time you meet somebody, you can just see the love beaming out of your face. And it's fantastic. But you are imitating Father God. And by doing that, other people will actually start imitating you because they see the Father in you and his love in you. And whatever we do, that's the point. We're supposed to, people's eyes are supposed to be focusing on the Father, not on us. We are the vehicle, the clay pots, whatever 
term we want to use, but it's the Father's love. So when you, if you haven't had a hug from David, go and have a hug from him, because it is just one of the most amazing touches of Daddy's love. It's just so embracing. But that's because he's allowing himself to be a vehicle for Father's love to touch you. And that's what we all called it to be and do, be imitators. And the question is, do we act like our daddy? Or do we act like somebody else? Who are we taking our kind of cues from? And how do we behave? And if, most of you have probably seen Elsie as a baby, and some of you knew Henrik as a baby and they all look like a spitting double. So when Felix came along, quite a lot of people said, oh, he looks like a Lindsay baby. And it's because they've got the same daddy. They're reflecting who the dad is in their image. And that's, and that's kind of a very biological, physical example. But in a spiritual sense, that's what we're called to do. We are called to be a representation of our daddy on earth and look like him. And the wonderful thing is we're all unique. We're all created differently. So in three of them, there are differences. But the main characteristic, they are Lindsay Baby. And you can see that. So in the same way, we are called to be the babies of our Heavenly Father and carry his characteristics and portray those. And in a way, the do's and the don'ts, they're kind of, because you can follow the rule of the law and you can behave in the right way, but if your motive is not right, it's nothing more than a nice act. Whereas if your motive is right, that you want to imitate Father God, then your acts will have impact and power. And I was thinking, um, when I first met David, he was... He's still into photography, but he was even more into photography. So one of the first things he did was went and bought me an old Canon SLR. It was way before the digital times when we still had film. Um, and this one you had to wind, if I remember correctly, before you took the next photo. But what he wanted me to do was to learn how to take a photo, to know what the different effect of the f-stop and whatever and whatever has on the picture you take. And through that, I got an understanding of what, when you take a photo, what happens. Whereas if you just take your phone out and you press a button, it comes up with a pretty picture, but you don't understand why that happened. And to me, the do's and don'ts are a bit the same. You can follow the law, you can follow the do's and the don'ts. It's like snapping a photo on your camera, but you have no understanding of why you are doing it. When you have the understanding, it's like using the old SLR where you have to turn the wheels and press the buttons and do everything. You know that you're doing it to release the Father. It's not just to be a good person, it's more than that. And the wonderful thing is when we know who our daddy is, we know who we are. Once we know his identity, then we can start to walk out the identity he gave us. And there's a freedom. There's a freedom to be who we created to be. And to me, that's the heart behind this passage. It's not do this, don't do this. It's a call to know who your daddy is and know who he created you to be. 
that we are no, we're no longer slaves, that we are not bound by these things around us, but he is there to give us freedom. And I had the two words that popped in my mind, especially that I felt God wanted to break this morning, were apathy and fear, that we are no longer slaves to those things. Because sin keeps us locked into the identity the enemy wants us to have. Whereas freedom and Father's love releases us into the destiny he created for us. And it's only truth, truth that we can do that. When we really understand what does it mean to be son or daughter. And he has called it to stand out, not to blend in. As a society, is kind of, life is easier if you blend in. Standing out is difficult, but he has called us to be the light on the hill and to stand out and lead the way. And I was challenged by what rules my mind. And with my mind, I kind of, it's heart, mind, it's the whole kind of what makes me me. So don't get stuck on the words that I'm just talking about the way my mind works. It's what rules my whole being, I guess is probably a better way of putting it. But the question I felt God was posing to me, am I ruled by his truths? Am I ruled by my own thoughts? Or even worse, am I ruled by the enemy's lies? And I think the reality is kind of all of us in different areas of our lives, we are at different stages. So if you, there's a bit, crazy picture, but bear with me. If you think of spider's web, they're different sections, but they form the totality of it. And as people, we are the same. They're different sections to us. Um, or spokes in a wheel, so there's different compartments. And as we journey on with God, as we go, and hopefully the, kind of all of the web, wheel, circle, will start to be aligned to his way of thinking. But it will take time. So sometimes you can have half of the wheel is aligned with God's truths, whereas the other half we're still working on. Because Paul talks about being transformed. It is a process. So it's kind of... It's all, I want to encourage you that if there are kind of... In some areas you're probably doing amazingly, and other areas there's probably still work to do because we're still not in heaven yet. Um, but it's a process of transformation. And I think to me, when it talks about walking in light, that's just a powerful part of how do we start to walk in truth? How do we get the freedom? It's walking in the light. And to me, it's about accountability. Who do you let to speak into your life? And whose lives are you speaking into? And it's not that you need to blurb everything out to everybody. But I, I, I believe that there is power in sharing what you're going through with others. And I was thinking with Jesus, he had his three. He had Peter, John and James, who were his kind of three closest buddies that came with him to the Mount of Transfiguration and who were with him in the garden in Gethsemane when he prayed. Then he had his 12, which was his wider group. And then he had 120, or kind of what the wider group of disciples was. So he had the very, very close friends that he shared 
I assume as much as he could with. Uh, he probably shared everything, but they probably didn't take it all in. Um, but there was a closeness there, and those were the guys he wanted around him when he was going through what he did in kind of the night before he was going to die. Those were the guys he wanted to be, have close to him. And then he had these 12 who were part of his life, saw him every day and knew what was going on, but weren't kind of, didn't have the same level of intimacy with him. And then he had an even wider group who, again, they knew, they followed Jesus around, so they wouldn't know what was going on, but they weren't part of the 12 or the three. So when I talk about accountability, I'm not saying blurb everything out to everybody. What I am saying is, who do you trust? Who do you allow to speak into your life? And I think the challenge here is, are those people selected by God or are they selected by you? Because we are scared by people who are different. So it's very difficult to trust somebody who's different. They might be the right person. They might be the person God had in their mind to support you through the season. But because they're different from you, it's very difficult to, for you to see what it is in them that God wants you to have. Um, but if you only surround, people, uh, surround yourself with people who are the same than you, there will be no change, because if you all think the same, why would you want to change? There's no challenge there. So I think it's very, very difficult to... I think as humans, our kind of is almost the our first reaction is to just coil in and not let anybody out in. But actually, there is no glory in suffering alone. There's no glory in that. There is glory in having close connections and allowing people to speak into your life, allowing them to support you, and together relying on God. And I just had a, I had a silly example of this. It, it's not even kind of is a very, very silly thing. Our boiler broke. In our 17 years of owning houses, we never, never, ever had a new boiler. So my engineer husband has got very, very handy at fixing boilers. He specializes in palliative care to boilers. <laughs> so it, I think it must be the third time this particular boiler broke, which means there's no hot water. Heating doesn't matter because it's summer and it's warm-ish. But there was no hot water. And kind of one day is fine, two days you can cope with, but after that you start to stink. <laughs> and you need to have a shower. And David was fine because he went to the gym and drove home, so he had a shower in the gym. Henry had swimming lessons, so he was absolutely fine as well. Elsie is tiny, so he sees us as a bath in a little bath. You can do that with boiling water. However, I'm a bit bigger. So he would have to boil an awful lot of water to give me a bath. So David was saying, oh, why don't you just ask somebody if you can go and use their shower? Oh, can't do that. I'd have to trust somebody. And I was kind of, then I go, okay, I can ask Jean. Jean is kind of part of the family. So he looks after Henrik and Elsie because it wouldn't just be me. I would be turning up to somebody's house with a two-year-old who is full on and a baby who is colicky asking, can I use your shower while you look after my children? And it kind of, David was very gracious and kind and kind of let me be my foolish thinking 
and then kind of, he fixed the boiler, but I could have a shower then. But I kind of ended up, I did, I did end up asking Jean because she was family and I felt I could trust her and kind of I could turn up at her door with these two kids. Um, but it kind of, God really challenged me on that. So why didn't I, because there's plenty of people, Dave Lynn would have happily had Henrik and El, or Elsie and Felix and let me use their shower. And there's plenty of others who would have happily done that if I only just asked. But there was something in me that found it really, really difficult to ask. And that's such a silly thing, a shower. So it just highlighted to me that it is difficult to trust people. It's difficult to ask for help. It's somewhere in our society, it's the mentality of stiff upper lip, that I have to survive, I have to do this on my own. I don't need to ask help. Whereas God has called us to be a community, to be a family where it's okay to ask help, it's okay to rely on each other. And that's where the strength comes in. And what I had this morning, I just had this picture pop into my mind, um, called, they could be neurons, they could be chemical particles, whatever. Um, but all these particles, if anybody's good in chemistry, you know they've got connections between them, or bonds, I think they're called, something like that. So I work with chemists, so I should really know. Um, but you normally, so you had water, H2O would have your, looks like Mickey Mouse, it's got two ears and a main plop and it's got connections between them. But the picture I had was all these individual little plops just floating about. So you had groups of three, groups of two, groups of four, but they were all separate. And there was strength in the little group, but overall there was no strength because all of these groups were just floating about. Whereas actually, once those little groups start to connect, there is a strength that covers the whole body. And I just felt that this lack of connection is the biggest killer of unity in churches. That we're not connecting. We have uh, one or two people that we trust. But beyond that, we don't open our hearts. And that's where lack of unity comes from. I did almost have a kind of want to get you all standing up and having groups of two or three holding hands and then get everybody to hold hands and feel how much stronger that is. But then we leave that for now. <laughs> but is this a challenge to trust people? But we live in a society where people are craving for connection, people are craving for human contact. And if the church is not getting it right, who is? We are called to be imitators of Christ, to live a life of love. And part of that is trusting each other, being open with each other, being honest with each other, saying, I really struggle with this. I've told you all now that I really struggle asking people if I can use their shower. So next time when the boiler broke, please call me and say, come and use my shower. <laughs> but you laugh, but that's, that's the thing. Once somebody knows you're struggling with something, they can talk to you about it. There is an openness, there's connection. So say, if you, I can't even think of examples apart from Boiler now. But when you're going through something and somebody else knows what you're going through, they can speak into your life. And it's, it's almost like if you think of uh, dropping a pebble or something into water and there's ripples. 
and those listening on podcasters have to imagine me waving my arms, <laughs> imitating the ripples. <laughs> In the same way, there's levels of trust, like Jesus had his 312 and 120. The 120 would have still known that there was something going on. They wouldn't have known the intricate detail, but they would have known enough to say, I heard you're going through a hard time. I can, I'm praying for you. Those 12 would have known a bit more, so they can say specifically, I'm praying about this, this, and this, because these are the things you shared with me. And then your three would know your heart, because they're the ones you shared your heart with. But as you imagine the body, you've got this kind of almost clovers or whatever, atom creeps, something. But these strong little units that have open hearts between them, and these groups interlinking, what a strength is there. It's amazing. But it's challenging, it's scary. It's scary to say to somebody, you're different from me. I feel God's called you to stand alongside with me in this season. This is the thing I'm really struggling with. What do you think? Can you pray for me about this? But it's very, very powerful when you allow yourself to do that. But to do that, we chatted about this in a car the other day. And one of the first things is, you actually have to recognize that you need to change. If you don't think you need to change, you don't need anybody to speak into your life because you think you're perfect. So step number one is recognize that you're not the end product yet. You're still on a journey. But the wonderful thing is you have loving God in heaven who's just championing you on, just willing you to change and become like him, to be his son or be his daughter who's dearly loved. And the second thing is you need to recognize that somebody can actually input into you. That you don't have to try to struggle alone. Or even just you and God. Because that's almost a cop-out saying, God created all these other people, but they can do nothing for me. It's just me and God. Mm. It's called to be between you and God, but also you and other people. And the third thing is you need to trust. You need to trust God that he's got his best in mind for you and also trust the people he's highlighted to you that they will be the loving father and imitate him in the way they act with you. And I think as a society we've moved, it's kind of, I think it's probably more with the younger generations. Um, there is a very insular way of looking at life that I'm struggling with this, I can't do anything else, I've just got this going on and I can't do anything outside this. Which is very selfish. Was if you think of Jesus, he died for us so that we could have life to the full, that we could have freedom. But he died for us in the same way we are called to be part of other people's lives. That our focus should not be on ourselves. We shouldn't be just gazing our own tummy button. I'm not sure if it's a saying in English, but it's a saying in Finnish. Um, 
where you're so focused on yourself that you can't see what's going on around you, is actually he's calling us to look, what can I do for others? What is it the Father has on his heart for the person standing in front of me? Not what I have, because it's not all about taking. It's about giving. And hear me out, I'm not, I think kind of, I remember 20 years back in the church, there was a very unhealthy culture where people burned themselves out and there was this giving, giving, giving. I'm not advocating that. But I'm also saying we've shifted too far the other way where we are just focusing on me, 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 because my strength is running out and I can't do this and I can't do that. And I think God is bringing us back to balance, that you need to be healthy in order to help others. But there is a kind of, you need both halves. You can't just be all about others or you can't be all about yourself. There is a balance. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. There are two people there that you need to love. You need to love yourself or you need to love your neighbor. And I think I said, especially in ministry, there's been over the years, there's been kind of almost you sacrificed your family for the ministry. And that's not healthy. Your family always comes first. And then whatever the ministry is. Um, my dad is wonderful. Being a father's day, I have to do that story, I guess. Um, he's been a member of Giddens, who give out Bibles ever since I can remember. And when I was little, he would go back and beyond off Russia in Euro Mountains in our little Volkswagen van with a couple of other old blokes who had nothing better to do and <laughs> give Bibles. Um, they do wonderful work, so I'm not mocking them, but I guess having been brought up with kiddens where everything um, is kind of it's a bit of a joke with my sisters. So we're going to Finland in five, six weeks' time, and all of the family is getting together. So I have a sister who lives in California, she's flying over with her kids, and my sister from Australia is coming as well. So it's the first time in three and a half years we'll all be in the same country, in the same town at the same time. But there is a national annual Gideon conference on at the same time. And my dad has chosen to come and spend time with us. So, <laughs> and I guess because we know how big deal it is for him, it means more. And there is kind of, we were talking about it with my sisters. Um, but it's actually, he's putting us before the ministry he feels God's given us, him rather. And that's because he values connection, or he's learning to value connection more than what he does. And that's, to me, the whole passage is do's and don'ts. It is not the focus. The focus is connection. The focus is connection with God and with each other. I'd, I'd better tell a good dad story as well, not just mock kiddens. Um, so I met David in Russia on a mission trip 19 years ago, long time ago. Um, came home and we hadn't, that was July time and we hadn't planned to see each other until Christmas because we didn't have money. He was a student, so I was about to start working um, in a charity shop which obviously pays very, very well. Um, so we had no money, so we couldn't see each other until Christmas. And I hadn't really said anything, but I must have been moping around or kind of looking a bit miserable because my dad just, we were home. In Finland, it's a big thing to read the newspaper in the morning, so 
My little sisters had disappeared to school, so it was just me and my dad at the breakfast table. He was reading the paper, and I was doing whatever. Um, and then he just suddenly said, "Oh, there's some really, really cheap flights here to England. Would you like to go and see David if I find the money for you?" And he had me sobbing because he knew what my heart's desire was, and he made it happen. So there's a good dad story as well. To celebrate Father's Day, <laughs> but that's what fathers do. They know the desire of our hearts, and they do their utmost to make it happen. And that's when I'm talking about focusing, not on ourselves, but focusing on others. Is finding out what does this person have on their heart? What is their dream? What is their desire? And then seeing what is I can do to help them to reach that goal. Be the person who God created them to be. But if you don't have the heart-to-heart -heart connections, you, you can't know what's going on in somebody's life and you can't come alongside them and help them. That's why it's so important to know, A, know what is on your own heart, but then being trusting enough to share that with other people because they'll want to champion you and be there for you and get you where God wants you to be. I had two kind of, as I started preparing, the two pictures that flashed in my mind very first. It was if you imagine a room, if, I'd, if, I was kind of, if my drawing skills were better, I would have drawn them. I did kind of sketch them in Biro in the middle of the night after feeding the baby. But if I'd put them up, they wouldn't really look like anything. So I tried to describe them. I'm slightly better with words than with pen. But if you imagine two rooms, and one room, there is just a tiny little candle in the corner. And you have, in the middle of the, both of the rooms, you have the same object, say, it's a table. So one room is nearly darkness. There's a tiny little light in a corner. And all you can see is massive shadow. And the other room is fully lit, and you have the same table on the middle. When you walk in the light, when you walk in the truth, you can see the table is a table. But when you're in the room that is dark, that has a tiny flickering candle, you've got all these big, crazy shapes going on, and you don't know what it is. And in your mind, you make it to be worse than it is. And when we are talking about walking the light, asking God to reveal the truth in our life, lives, that's what's happening. He's taking us from these rooms that are hardly lit, with these big, big shapes going on that scare us to a fully lit room there's actually, it's just a table. It's not a big deal to him. He can deal with it. And if anybody, when you're little, did you do the shadow finger puppet things? That's the same idea. When you just see the shadow, it, look, it can look something scary. You can do a wolf somehow, kind of, something like that. But <laughs> acting wasn't my strong point either. <laughs> But when you just see the shadow image, it can look very, very scary. But when you see the hand, it's just the hand with the fingers in funny positions. It's not scary. And the other 
picture I had was mountain and a molehill. But again, if you just imagine the silhouette, the outline, with the light coming behind them, so you can just see this dark plop with the light coming behind them. And once the sun rises, you can see one of them is a huge mountain and the other one is a molehill. But the outline is the same. So if you don't let God shine his light on your life, sometimes you can imagine these big mountains, things that you think that you can't get over, blocking you. Whereas actually they're just molehills, but because you're not allowing God's light to shine on those things, you just imagine them to be like Mount Everest, that you can't get over. And the wonderful thing is, God does want to speak his truth into your life. He doesn't want you to be left in the dark room with the little flickering candle, being scared out of your life. He wants to bring you into life so that you can live the life of love and bring his truth into people around you. And it's so empowering when you hear the truth. Because the lie, it wants to keep you locked in, it wants to keep you chained in. Because the enemy's worst fear is you starting to live out of the identity God created you for. He doesn't want you to do that, because once you do that, once we all do that, you start to change the community around you, you start to change the world around you. And I, I, as we were worshipping, I had this... I specialise in funny pictures. But it was... At first I saw fishing hooks just kind of dangling in. And with that way, you catch one fish or two fish. And then the second picture was this big fishing net just coming along and scooping everybody into the net. And to me, it was kind of one three. So your individual fishing hooks are your twos or threes. You, you catch a few people, you show God's love to a few people, but once those twos and threes connect together, you become this big net that can just scoop everything with it as it goes along. And there's more power in that. There's more power in us being connected, us loving our very close group well, but also being open to people who are not in our close group, people who scare us, people who are different from us but people who recognize God's put in our lives, either for them to love us or us to love them. And that's the wonderful thing in kingdom. You can be really good in one thing and really rubbish another thing, but it doesn't matter because we're all on a journey together and there's always somebody who is better at doing something, better at imitating one aspect of God than you are, and you can learn from them. And it's just, it's scary, but it's very, very exciting. If you think of the power that the love we have could have if you start to love each other well how much better would we be able to love people outside the church then and that's exciting it's scary but it's exciting problem with me is I can keep talking so I think I might just need to shut up now <laughs> but I guess the thing I'd want you to get from this passage, there is not the do's and the don'ts. You can follow the do's and the don'ts if you want. You'll not come to any harm. But what God really wants is to connect with you. Connect with you heart to heart. 
so that you can connect with other people heart to heart. And I can finish with a silly, silly little thing. There's the last part of the section where it talks about talking to each other in hymns, songs and spiritual whatever. When I was little, I read that I, every time I giggled because I just imagined the whole church speaking with lines out of Psalms. Um, but actually, we probably wouldn't, it probably wouldn't do us any harm if we did. Saying, God is your strength. He's your shield. He's your protector. So it probably wouldn't do us any harm, but I just remember as a child, I always giggled with the image of us just stalking with spiritual songs and hymns and whatever. So I think I'll leave it at that before I tell any more silly stories. Amen.